So um, recently, over the past few weeks, we've been doing this series called The Bank of Heaven. And um, when the World Mission team said, look, we'd like to have a, an opportunity to talk about, um, about some mission opportunities and just encourage people to, to, to pray into mission and explore mission and, and just to see if God's challenging them, t- challenging them to, to, to do anything in the mission field... Um, I thought, well, it doesn't quite fit in with the series. And I had the series all planned out, and I thought, hmm, what am I going to do with that? And then I saw, it suddenly just struck me that actually, of course this has a place in a series called The Bank of Heaven. Because we've, we've talked a bit about money, and we've talked a bit about time, and we've talked a bit about our willingness to, to be disrupted in our daily pattern of life, to serve God and to take these opportunities that he gives us. And mission is just that. But sometimes we can make a mistake, can't we? We can, we, can, we can make a mistake of making mission about us. But I just want to, any film buffs out there, what does that make you think of? Sorry, that, that make you think of, the, um, the, the quote up there. What film might that? Blues Brothers. Yes, on a mission from God. Absolutely. But you see, we can, we can sometimes take that idea and we can make it all about us, that I'm, I've got this mission and it's, it's something that I've got to do and it's all about me. But, but that's, not quite, that's not quite the way that we should understand mission. You see, every single one of us, whether we have at some point entered the mission field and, and, and gone somewhere and done something in, in the name of mission, whether we are currently missionaries serving we are all part of what, what you might call Missio Dei, the mission of God, the all-encompassing um, idea of God's overall mission to reconcile mankind to him. Missio Dei, the mission of God. That's about the only bit of Latin that I know, so, so please don't be too impressed. But you see, the Bible is quite clear that God... God is the one in control of this mission. And every now and then, he'll call someone or, or a group of people, maybe a family, maybe a whole church, maybe, maybe, maybe more, to join him in his mission and to get alongside him and to, to be his sort of hands and, and feet on the ground. And it's a massive privilege to be part of that. But all of us, I want to say this just to begin with, all of us at some point in our lives have fulfilled that sort of role. We might not have called ourselves missionaries, in the sense of, of being commissioned and being sent to do a specific thing, but we have all played a part in, in Missio Dei, in the mission of God, the work of God, that reconciliation process. It may have been something as simple as, uh, as sharing your faith with someone, as saying, well, actually, I, yeah, I go to church, I like it, it's, 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 it's good fun, and actually I, 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 believe in, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the teaching of the gospel, and you've planted a seed, and planting a seed, sometimes you walk away from that seed and you've got no idea what it's going to grow into. But at some point in our lives, we've all played a part in this overall mission picture. But as we've just heard, mission today has, we often, when we use that word, we mean something slightly more specific. Historically, as a country... We've looked at ourselves and said, well, of course, we're, we're a Christian country. We've, we're, we're there. We're sort of that little bit closer to God than most other countries. So um, we need to be sending people out. 
need to be sending people out into the world. And there's been some, some amazing people that have gone out into the world and done some amazing things. And there's been countries who, who have received the gospel because of the, the work that missionaries have done who have, who have gone out from this country. I read a little while ago that um, if you go back um, a couple of hundred years, when missionaries were commissioned, um, one of the things that they used to do was to, um, quite often they'd have a coffin made. And they'd take it with them. Because they knew that wherever they went, in, out into the world would be so far away and so inaccessible in that, in that day and age, they would take their coffin with them as a sign that they're not coming back. Going out into the mission field was a, a big, it's a lifelong commitment. Now, of course, we've just heard that mission today... The world has become a smaller place because of ease of travel and, and that sort of thing. There's a lot less un, unexplored territory in the world. There's a lot less um, unreached people groups. And so we can talk about short-term mission, long-term mission. We can talk about taking a, a year out or taking a few months and, going and doing something amazing. And that really ties in, I think, more with the biblical picture. We're going to read through... Um, from Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses, because we learn a lot about, about Jesus' model for mission from this. So I'm just going to read through the passage. It'll come up on the, on the screen um, behind me. But if you've, if you've got a Bible and you want to look it up, it's Acts chapter 1, the first 11 verses. And this is, this is Luke writing. So Luke, who wrote Luke's gospel, um, he um, he'd written this account of Jesus, and he begins his gospel, he, the Luke, Luke's gospel, by writing to um, my, my dear Theophilus, um, the recipient of this, of this um, uh, writing. And he begins his gospel by saying, this is too important not to be recorded. We need to record these things. People need an accurate account of, of, of who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And he continues in the book of Acts, and he actually features in the book of Acts, and he, he, he spent a time working alongside um, Paul and others who we meet in the book. But he begins the book of Acts by saying this. In my for former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is a, the, last, the last contact anyone had with the risen Christ before the ascension. This was the last conversation that took place. This was the moment when, when Jesus ascended. And that was the moment from which we have always been anticipating his return. The disciples at this point must have been in a terrible state. Less than, well, just over a month before these events took place, they'd been in Jerusalem, they'd been waiting for the Passover feast, they'd been quite happily following Jesus. Jesus had spoken about his, his death, but they didn't quite know what he meant. They didn't quite know what, what was going to happen. And of course, they'd gone through the, um, the, the Passover meal together. Jesus had predicted his betrayal. And then Judas had left the room. They'd gone to Gethsemane to pray. Judas and troops had turned up. Jesus had been arrested. He'd then, be, he'd then been tried. He'd then been tortured. He'd then eventually been executed, crucified on the cross. The disciples had had this three days of abject desolation, absolutely heartbroken that the person in whom they'd put all their trust, the person for whom they'd given up their livelihoods, the person who they really believed was who he claimed to be, was dead. That was it. That was the end. But then, as we know, on Easter Sunday, as we will remember, Jesus rose from the tomb. One morning, the, um, the stone was rolled away, the grave clothes were neatly folded and left inside, and Jesus was out in the garden. And then he appeared to his disciples, and he appeared to many, many people. Over 500 people saw the living Christ, the risen Christ. And there would have been hope amongst the disciples, hope that, wow, he's, he's, he's done it. He's, he's, he's proved that he is who he claimed to be. Now what? Now we're going to restore Israel. Now we're going to, we're going to wipe out the, the, the Romans who have, been, who have been afflicting us and oppressing us for so long. Now this is going to get interesting. It can half be annoying sometimes, can't it, being a Christian? Because it seems so obvious what God needs to do. He just needs to end the war. He just needs to, to feed the hungry. He just needs to, to, to restore justice. He just needs to do all these things and, and, and then send Jesus back and then new heaven, new earth, Bob's your uncle, everything's done. Great. Why doesn't he do it? Why can't he do it? It can be so frustrating. One of the reasons so many of us find it difficult to talk about our faith is because we, 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 we're afraid of these questions. And sometimes we, we might not feel that we've got an answer. I suspect that the disciples had a similar sense of frustration on this morning. They were waiting for Jesus to do something. They were waiting for the culmination of everything that had gone before. And then they're sitting down one day having a meal with him. And just as they're waiting for their, their marching orders, 
where to go, what to do, how to, how to, how to attack. Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait. I don't know about you, but I'm not good at waiting. I don't like waiting. I used to be... Um, I used to love my athletics when I was younger. And in 1996, um, Linford Christie had been the reigning 100 metres champion for four years since Barcelona Olympics. And growing up, Linford Christie, he was kind of, he was a real sort of role model for me, a real idol, because I loved the way that at the start of any 100 metres race, he'd walk out, and this is before the days of Usain Bolt, who was just cool as a cucumber. Linford Christie was totally different. He was a bit of a man mountain, you know, he was, he was huge, he had this wonderful physique, and he would just stand there at the edge of the, at the, the start line. And while all, all the others were sort of limbering up and doing a few stretches and stuff like they didn't look quite Mr. Bean-like as I did, but, you know, they, they were sort of limbering up and everything, Christy would just stand there, chest out, just staring, totally blank expression on his face, just focusing on the finish line. And he'd wait. And then when they were called to their marks, he'd settle down. And then he'd look up, and when he was down in the, in the position, he'd just be focused. And I always found that inspiring, just that look of absolute concentration. But by the time it got to 1996 and the Olympic trials in Birmingham, it was actually on a day that England beat Scotland in the Euro Championships, so just drop that in. Um, I was at the Birmingham Arena with my dad, and Linford Christie was there. We were right by the 100 metres start line. And I noticed, because I've been really excited, it was the first time I'd ever seen Linford Christie compete live. I noticed that um, while he was doing his, his warm-up and stuff, he didn't just, he, I was really disappointed, he didn't do the stare. He just, he just sort of stood there and he was so, I think he was so sure that he was going to win. There was no one to touch him. He'd been dominating across the globe, let alone in the UK. So the UK trials, he could have done it on one leg and won. But what happened was um, he got into the starting blocks, and then he, the starter said, set, and they all got into the position. And then there was a full start. They went. And just as, they, just as they went, then the gun went, and then a second gun went, and they were called back. Now, if you do that, <coughs> the rule had just been introduced um, that if you have a full start, people get a warning. And if there's another full start, you get disqualified. And there was a little bit of conversation. Well, who was it? Who was it? Who was it? And it hadn't come up on the screen, and then a starter came and held a card in front of, in front of Linford Christie's lane. And so you think, oh, well... Never mind, he can just, you know, he can wait half a second and then go and he'll still win. But he didn't. The same thing happened again. And he was disqualified. You see, he was so confident that he was going to win that when it came to it, he wasn't focusing. He wasn't waiting for the right time to go. Now, after a bit of toing and froing with the British Board of Athletics, Linford Christie did make it to the Olympics and he got to the Olympic final. Anyone remember what happened in the Olympic final in Atlanta in 1996? That's right, well done. He was disqualified for full starting. You see, I use that example because there is a time. There is a time for us to wait, and there is a time for us to go. And Jesus says to his disciples, 
don't leave Jerusalem, but wait. Waiting can be the hardest thing to do, especially if we think, well, I've got Jesus on my side. What can possibly go wrong? What can possibly stop me from winning this? You know, you're even more certain of victory than Lymphor Christie in 1996. But if you don't wait for the right time, if we jump the gun, or if when the gun goes, we're, we're not concentrating, we've got our mind on other things, we've been distracted, then suddenly we're not working in God's timing. And it can be dangerous. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Waiting is frustrating. But of course, this wasn't disciples on a start line. This was disciples waiting for something else. Jesus says, wait for the gift that my Father has promised. Now, we said at the start of this service, God does not break promises. You look back through the Old Testament and you see time and time again, there were, there were promises made and they were kept. And that's why when, when Jesus promises that he will return... We hold him to that because we know that God does not break promises. Jesus will return one day. But there was a gift. So maybe the disciples felt rather than like starters on a, on a start line, maybe they felt like a kid before Christmas, knowing that next week, next week we broke up from school and then the week after that, there's going to be the tree and the decorations and the lights and there's a gift there. There's, it's going to happen. I know there's going to be a gift but I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite allowed it. Do you know the worst Christmas I ever had was the year that I'd worked out when mum and dad hid the Christmas presents. There was no surprise on Christmas Day. I'd looked and I saw what I was getting. And it was all good and everything, but I'd, I'd thought about it and I'd, I'd sort of... The, the shock and the excitement on Christmas Day wasn't there. Because I opened it, so, oh, yeah, that's, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good, great, brilliant, thanks. It wasn't, oh, wow, look at that. You see, I didn't wait. I jumped the gun. Jesus says, wait for the gift my Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. And then he reveals what that gift will be. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The gift that was being promised, the gift that the disciples were told, just wait a little bit longer for. That gift was the Holy Spirit. They were waiting. If God's called us to do something, then we do it in his timing, not in our timing. If we're praying and we feel inspired by, by the videos that we saw earlier, inspired by the facts that there are these opportunities out there to go and do really good work and to serve God, then we need to do it not because we fancy a, a bit of time away or a, a, a bit of a holiday or something like that. That's not mission. That's not the motivation for mission. The motivation for mission is because you feel compelled by God to do something. This is what I'm being called to do. And if we do that, if we're obedient to the call of God, then we will go anointed by the Holy Spirit with the power and the blessing upon us. The disciples, of course, they want to know more, as anyone would. You're not just going to accept that, all right, I'll wait. Yeah, but why? What's going to happen? They say to Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you, going to, are you going to sort of reconcile God and your people? What's, what's going to happen? Jesus comes back with one of those equally frustrating answers. It's not for you to know. You don't need to know. It's on a need-to-know basis. 
And only God the Father needs to know. You don't need to know. Oh, come on, JC, give us a clue. Give us a bit more than that. But no. You don't need to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Amazing things have happened when people have gone out into the mission field with the power of the Holy Spirit, with that anointing on them. Amazing things. There are people recorded throughout history who have gone and changed countries, continents, because they've gone out at the right time with the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon them. They've been obedient to God's calling. I loved it in, that, um, in the, the presentation that, um, that Suzanne brought earlier, that it said, look, she, she said, look, I know that these are often young people talking, but at any age, at any age, mission can be something you're called to. And that's so true. I know too many in my previous church who regularly go on mission trips to, um, to India, to a very deprived part of India. And they go there, and it's, it's dangerous, and, and food is often a little bit scarce, and it's, it's, it's not something that, that you'd do lightly. But these two guys are both in their late 70s, because they felt that this is the time that God has called them to the mission field. And so sometimes we can make missions seem sort of, you know, a bit, a bit out there and a bit sexy, and let's go and, let's go, and um, uh, you know, go somewhere glamorous and take the gospel. But actually, you don't have to be young to do that. Any age, God can call us. The biggest lie that Satan ever tells us is that we're past it. We're too old. We've done our bit. It's time for someone else to step up. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, we read in the Psalms. If you've still got breath in your lungs, you can praise the Lord. If you can still praise the Lord, then you're recognizing his authority. If you recognize his authority, then you submit to that authority. And if he says go, you go. Then we see while the disciples were looking up into the sky as Jesus was going, suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? That must have felt like a stupid question to the disciples. Didn't you just see that? Of course we're looking. But they say, no, 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 that's not your focus now. You've seen what's happened, you know what's happened. Your focus now is to be obedient is to be obedient. Jesus has just said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These men say, this same Jesus who's been taken away from you into heaven will come back. Jesus will come back. We know that. We know that he does not break promises. We know that Jesus will return. The time will come. We're not all called into the mission field. I remember once having a conversation at a conference I went to um, with, with my previous job, and I met a guy who had a job that I just thought, how on earth do you land that? He worked in the Maldives, and he worked for a solar company who were um, investigating the, the possibility of, of putting solar panels on different islands. And they'd put this monitoring equipment on all these different little islands that weren't inhabited. And his job was to spend his time 
going on a boat from island to island, taking readings from these, uh, all these different um, monitoring stations and then collating it and sending it back to, to head office. In the Maldives! Oh my goodness, I thought, that's, that's amazing. How do you land a job like that? God, it sounded glamorous. It sounded brilliant. But we're not here to serve ourselves. We're here to serve God. Now, he was serving himself. He was having a great time until it was decided that the project wasn't viable, and then suddenly he was back to square one with no job. Lovely suntan, but no job. Nothing to show for it. When we're called out into the mission field, we're not there for the suntan. We're there for the serving. But if we're not called out into the mission field, we still have a role to play. We as a church, we support people in, in mission. And it's a privilege to do so. We are part of their mission. There are people out in the world at the moment who could not do what they're doing. They could not serve God in the way that they've been called without our support. What a privilege. What a wonderful privilege. The church is one of the mechanisms that God's put in place to enable his mission to be carried out. We have a responsibility to spread the gospel, to share God's word. When Jesus gave the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So, mission isn't simply going and doing good work. There are plenty of people in the world who, who go out and do good work. But mission has, a, has another edge to it. And that edge is not just doing good work, but it's also giving the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the love and the grace and the peace and the unity and the mercy of Jesus. There's no other organization that does that, except for missionaries. Missionaries are so important in the church. It's a privilege to be part of a church that does support missionaries and has a long history of supporting missionaries. We need to be aware of God's calling on people's lives. When we come together and worship every Sunday, we're not just singing songs and praying prayers. It's not something we should get into a habit of. It's something where we should come expecting to hear from God. I was struck this week by reading from Acts chapter 13, verse 2, which says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This was just while they were worshipping. Just, I don't know what time of day or night it was, but just imagine a Sunday morning. We suddenly say, whoa, 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 stop, stop the service. What's, what's God saying? God's saying that you, 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 you've got, you've got a task. We need to be praying over you. We need to be resourcing you. We need to be sending you out because the Holy Spirit is making it so clear that this is a calling on your life. We mustn't be, be deaf to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us as a church. We must be willing to, to equip and empower people 
covering them in prayer, praying for each other, willing to explore what God's doing in our lives, what God, where God is sending us, or how we can support someone. There are so many opportunities in the world to serve God through mission. And when his time is right, we will know. Three times Jesus identifies his mission. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. To seek and save the lost. Jesus spent so much time among people who didn't know him, people who were, who were caught in a life of sin, a life of, of desperation, who were slowly getting more and more desperate and didn't know who to turn to, and Jesus turned up and spent time with them. Sometimes he fed them, sometimes he rebuked them, sometimes he healed them. But he came to seek and save the lost. We don't always have to go thousands of miles away to do that. Right on our doorstep, there are people who don't know Jesus. There are people who, who, are, who, are, in, who are in that sort of that destructive cycle. Maybe it's addiction, maybe it's adultery, maybe it's an obsession. With, with a career. Maybe it's just struggling with, with, with mental health. But we can be positive influences in those lives. We can be ones that make a difference, that seek to help. Jesus said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Mission requires us to be selfless. Jesus was selfless. He was always giving to people, giving his time, giving his attention, giving his prayers, giving his insight into what God wanted them to do. Jesus also said, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. That's my favorite one. But again, it comes down, if you're eating and drinking with somebody, then you're... you're you're breaking bread with them. You're sharing that time. You might have invited them into your home. They might have invited you into theirs. Hospitality is so important. Not just because it's a good laugh to have a bit of social time, but because it's, it's godly. Jesus spent so much of his time eating and drinking with people, sharing food, sharing a table with somebody. It's such a wonderful thing to do. There's a big responsibility that comes with being a Christian, not just being a missionary. Paul writes in, in Romans 10, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? And it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You see there, Paul sort of outlines the, the logical process, why we need missionaries in the world, why we need to be equipping people and, and sending people. 
And that's the responsibility that we have as church, as collective church, here in NCBC, here in Norwich overall, here in the UK and further afield. The church universal has a, has a responsibility to recognize when God is calling somebody to raise them up, to equip them and to resource them and to send them out to go and do the work that God's lined up for them. God's plan all along has been to share his love with the whole world. 1 Chronicles, we read, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all peoples. We sometimes have this idea that in the Old Testament, God was kind of kept very much just to, 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 the, to the people of Israel, and he wasn't shared. But he was. The instruction was still there, go and share. But now that we live in a post-Pentecost world where the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all people, that, that, that responsibility is down to us to recognize when God is working in our midst. And so I'd just like to say this morning that, that when we're, whether it's speaking to our youth group, whether it's our children, whether it's the coffee morning, whether it's uh, in prayer groups, whether it's in house groups, whatever it is, whatever age we are, whatever stage of life we're at, Let's just be more aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing around us when someone is being called to do something. We all have a role to play in Missio Dei, the mission of God. This is all part of God reconciling a fallen world to a loving creator. He wants us to have that relationship with him and he wants to use us to make it happen. There is no greater privilege for a church than being able to support somebody who goes out into the world to make a difference in the name of Jesus. Whether we're called specifically to go or whether we're called to do the legwork back home, let's play that part and let's celebrate the fact that God has called us to do it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the way that you have used so many people in so many different ways, in so many different places, to do so many different things for so many years. And Lord, we, we thank you that that narrative hasn't finished, that narrative is still being written today, it is still ongoing. Father God, we thank you for the people who are serving right now in so many different places in the world. Father God, we thank you for all that you do, equipping people, raising people up, bringing people into our midst who clearly have a calling on their life. And Father, we thank you for the long tradition that we have here at NCBC of supporting missionaries. And Father, we pray that you will continue to raise people up, that you'll continue to help us to recognize those who are being called to serve you, whether it's for the short term, whether it's for the long term, whether they are young or old, Father, whatever field it might be, whether it is overseas or whether it's right here on our doorstep, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that each and every one of us can play a part in that ongoing narrative 
because we know that 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 narrative won't conclude until that day comes when Jesus returns, when we are reconciled to you, when there is a new heaven and a new earth, and we can dwell in your kingdom forever. Father God, bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going, to, um, we're going to close this morning with a song of worship. So please stand.